0: Hey, you're listening to the Kakai Matahi podcast, the second part of our fifth and final episode of this We Are the Ocean series called Aikipau. I'm Lilika and I'm Maka, and we are two Tongan sisters connecting back to our people of Oceania. Let's get started. I don't know if anybody noticed, probably nobody noticed, but I didn't say that we're connecting from opposite ends of the Pacific Ocean because Maka is here in Japan. Should I like insert like a yay? Uh,
1: <laughs>
0: no, no. <laughs> but yeah, Maka's we're been sitting here. here yeah, we're actually
1: sitting here in w- my Japanese kitchen. kitchen where Buona always records, or always records her part of the podcast. Yep. So this is the He's first where... time where we're doing this in the same room. We're
0: like, yeah, this is our, and we were gonna do like a video and make it all special, but then we got, uh, <laughs> it's too much energy. Yeah, I think the video
1: just made it more complicated because right now, even when we're together, we have two recordings and two mics, <laughs> so it's actually easier for us to record separately. But we're just gonna figure this out. Yeah. So uh, Maka's been here for about a week
0: now, and we've just kind of like pushed all the podcast stuff to the side
1: but um yeah so we're coming up on the end of our trip um it's it's what what day is this this is monday and we leave on thursday and we have lots of plans like throughout the week so this is like the final day that we can finally record so let's get let's get into it okay Um. Tanonoa Aikaina is something that we got from our mom, which translates stories by family. We were always interested in bringing on and featuring members of a family and kind of getting their perspectives of their upbringing, their perspectives of how they feel uh, culture has influenced their life or our Tongan culture has influenced their life and maybe how they feel about, you know, being raised in diaspora if they were and, you know, ties to all of Oceania and how that affects how they live their lives. And today's first featured family member is our youngest sister, Eveloni. So there's, um,
0: so there's eight of us, and like we said in the first episode, I'm the f- oldest. Um, Maka's the third, and Eva's number eight. We have all the siblings in between, and hopefully we can get them sometime, you know, on the podcast as well. But our first guest is Eva Um Eva for short. She's here with us, chilling on the couch, we're all here in one place, so, um, Eva, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit?
2: Hi, my name is Avaloni Liliupe and I'm named after my auntie, Avaloni. I'm 11 years old, and I am in 6th grade. I was born in January 25th, 2008. Okay. And, uh, I live... And grew up in California, but I was born in Hawaii, Honolulu.
0: So do you remember moving to Antelope?
2: Moving to Antelope? uh, Not really right now. I still think that I would choose California or Antelope um, instead of Hawaii. um, I just really like California. It really feels like home to me. Everyone in Hawaii is, too, but everyone's, like, friendly, and they, like, all say hi to each other, and I grew up there, so I, like, I don't know a lot of people, but, like, yeah. A lot of people say my name wrong, but, yeah, like, teachers. Oh, <laughs> a I lot say? of teachers are substitutes. They always say, like, Ava or Eva or, like, Evalani mm. or because my, yeah, Evalani. I don't, it's doing? like normal, because it's not. It's normal for me and everyone who's been in my elementary because once they like go to my name they and they like start having trouble, the whole class fixes them, I don't say anything, the whole class just says her name is Eva, <laughs> like, or something like that, hi. and I like, I just sit there and like, just smiling, like, hi, I'm here, <laughs> I mean, that makes me feel really like, this makes sense, important. <laughs> Not like important like you people need to know who I am but like um
1: important that they want to get your name. Yeah.
2: That's really cool. I'm actually I have most of my friends are immigrants. Um uh, one of my really close friends, Joplin, she's from India and she moved to one uh, to my school in like first grade yeah first or second grade yeah and we just became really good friends and also um I have two friends um who are two friends Tatiana and Ariana they're Russian and Ukrainian and they I've been friends with Tatiana for a long time and she was she's really nice to me she's really nice um I feel like I've the more that I've talked with her, like in English, she's spoken better because um, when she first came to my school, she all she did was speak Russian or had an accent or something like that, and she wouldn't, I wouldn't understand her a lot. But then I hung out with her a lot, and then she, um, she like got to know more English words. But yeah. I know Tongan. Um, I wouldn't say a lot, but I know Tongan to understand some words, and I know how to speak some words, but like not pronounce it that well. But I can speak some. I remember the Tongan word well. Um, so I'm I had I had a really nice teacher. Um, who was my yeah my auntie. Two of my aunties and they were my primary teachers, and they were, are for nursery. Yeah, I think it was nursery. They weren't primary teachers; they're just nursery. I think I was in nursery in the Tongan Ward, and then we moved out. Yeah, to the Intel Board. So when um we learn a new Dalunga, she uh, she always lines up everyone and we're most sometimes because um sometimes in the beginning everyone is like loud but then we quiet down a lot so we can like learn but we each get in a row so everyone can see so the small kids in the front and then yeah so everyone could see and then we do our starting move which everyone does is like we bend our knees and we fool and we everyone does that and then um she she doesn't really like correct us if we're like not bending that low or anything until the end, so she does that, and then we quickly go to the first verse, and then shes like she teaches us her first step and then her second step, and then she plays the music for the first verse, and then we do that, and then it just and then we break into groups and then teach like the people the older people teach the the rest of the kids. And one time I got to teach the one in the teach a group, and so yeah, it was really cool. And so we teach, we taught like the first verse, and then we come back together, and then we keep on doing it. And then every Saturday we would keep on going back and back to the studio and do that. Like, if we do a move, um, she says, so we're, first we're going to do, like, we put this hand here, and then we put our foot, our foot faces that direction, and then when we, like, when we, like, get it right or wrong, if we get it wrong, she says, um, like, I don't know, she knows she's doing this, but when we do get it wrong, she says, you have to know what this is, like, you have to, like, get this right because this means something. Like, and if you do it wrong, it's going to mean something totally something off or something. But she tells you what the something is, right? Yeah, she does. And uh, I was like, I never knew. (laughs) I thought it because, like, there's a lot of, of, there's a verse, verses, like the verses of the song that I think it means something else. But then she teaches us the actual meaning.
0: And what's her teacher's name?
2: Melamasima, my auntie. What's the one most common tongue and phrase that you hear? Um, <laughs> <laughs> who says that a lot? I, I just hear it a lot, like, um, because, um, me and my brother David, we would always, we always play, and every single time, like, even if we're, like, n- like outside, or we're doing, like, we're not even doing that much, or anything, we're just, like, we're running outside, they say, and come and clean up, <laughs> or something, and they were like, okay, you don't have to yell at about- like okay and so he just listened i listen i don't know what david does i listen (laughs) or something my friends so they they asked me like where i'm from i said that i'm actually i was born in hawaii but i was um i'm actually tongan and they're like what's that i said and no first i said polynesian and they said Polly what? Poly what? And I'm like, you don't know what Polynesian is? And they said, no. And I said, well, I'm, like, tongue in I said, I'm tongue in And then the next day, they said, they, like... They were showing me pictures of what they researched. I was like, you researched about my, I was like, I didn't think, so cool. I was like, you would act, you actually did that? They showed me like haka's, the like boys dancing and the girls doing talunga picture, like pictures. And I was like, that's so, I was like, I didn't think you were actually like going, gonna like go into that or think about that. For my spare time, I like, I love looking at the books that the, um, our parents made. Um, these books, we would always, um, we have books that would, um, have memories or something with it. I would always like go into other people's like jur- journals and look at their pictures and everything. And then I would look at the family tree. You mean our uh, achievement books? Yeah. You would which, go into I would you. go in because, like, no, everyone was like on their phone or something. I was like, I'm bored, and no one, <laughs> no one was like, no, no one said anything. So I just like looked through the house and then like, I looked at the journals, and it was, uh, it was like I've, like I saw a bunch of pictures that, like a, for, like pictures of me that I never knew <laughs> got taken. So I was like, um, there was this. I don't know, why, because I don't usually listen to long talks or anything. But there was at this wedding, and then uh, we were at, and then one of I'm pretty sure uncles, one of our uncles, um, they were they said at the wedding, um, that our family, that a family is everything to us, and that our family is built on three pillars. Have you saw that? No, keep going. Um, our family is built on three pillars. The first being God. And, like, you should always put your faith in God. And, like, never give up or anything. Always ask him for, like, um and answers that you need or anything. The second pillar being family. Family and that, um, to always... Oi- always remember like the family that you grew up with and that are there for you because they love you and they'll always be there for you and everything like and like to always talk to them the third one our culture and like um um that like we should always think about our culture and like be proud of it of our tongue and culture like don't be shy about your culture That was really, it stood, it really was, like, really cool to me. It stood out to me a lot.
1: So we wanted to sort of reflect on what Eva shared with us um, because she was kind of getting exhausted (laughs) at the end. And I think there was a lot of important points that uh, Lilika and I noticed that we wanted to talk about. Um, But maybe because Eva is just 11, we didn't want to. Overwhelm her with a lot of the feedback that we or reflections that we wanted to discuss. But so we're just discussing that amongst ourselves.
0: Yeah. There were a lot of things that she was talking, and I wanted to, and I was telling Maka this, like I wanted to, I guess it's a parent instinct or something, but I wanted to kind of like cut in and be like, oh, well, Eva, like kind of just stop her and like talk a little bit more
1: about it. I mean, I, I, I want to, um, Go into how we keep saying that she's just 11. Um, cause when I say that, like, I feel like that's kind of a reason for why I don't go deeper into like, um, conversations with her, um, because of her young age. But, like, in reality, like, no one's too young to learn about, you know, why their culture is important or why they should know their language. Um, I don't think that's a conversation that should ever be shied away from. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm, like, kind of regretting now that we did. Because I think in my head I was thinking that because this is, like, a podcast, I feel like the conversation that we want to have with her would be something that's very intimate that I feel like is not necessarily something that I would want on a podcast, like, for everyone to see. But then, like, now that I'm thinking back on, like, this is something that a lot of people may be experiencing and I feel like we've always said that we want to model conversations for how people could have these conversations with their families. Um, yeah, I guess I'm kind of regretting that we didn't get into it with Eva because like we've had other conversations with Eva about other things yeah. um, and other behaviors that needed to be addressed. Um, but because, you know, that was...
0: Yeah, I feel like the podcast kind of makes it also like the dynamics makes it kind of like weird for us like the settings make it weird for us to like get into like intimate conversations with each other because mm-hmm. I feel like even now when we talk like a lot of stuff we talk here on the podcast is is not even like it's just scratching the surface of how we really talk mm-hmm. in real life. So um Yeah, I guess it's it's um you know i think it's a learning thing like we're still trying to learn our groove here um on the podcast as well but at least we know though like is saying like she regrets not bringing it up but i think that doesn't mean that we can't still you know bring it up to her yeah um behind closed doors and just like talk about you know those things that you wanted to address like we can still do that just it's just not going to be on the podcast which is fine but um I think this time of us reflecting on that conversation with Eva is helping us to to yeah. recognize those things for the future for like future um conversations with our families,
1: yeah, Was yeah, any- definitely, like this is an ongoing process.
0: Was there anything else that she said during her um
1: our discussion that kind of stood out to you i mean, i think I think w- w- one of the things that. I just regret a lot about um, her not having when we because of being raised in California and being raised in Antelope is how, you know, they, they didn't learn about natives of California. And when we talked to her about that, um, she kind of just like they learned about Native Americans in general, um, but not necessarily those um, native to like, that area to the Sacramento area. And so it's it's just, like, really, really yeah. strange because I feel like in Hawaii that that's pretty yeah. much all we learned. We always learned that there were natives of Hawaii and they were the first people. And so I feel like that was such a strong influence mm-hmm. in our understanding of what it means to be indigenous and what it means to have,
2: yeah, you know, yeah. ties
1: to Oceania. So that's, that's the only thing that I... Mm -hmm. really felt sad about
0: um i felt like also at the same time i was very happy to know that she like eva's best friends are immigrants yeah like i was happy to see that she gets along well with with immigrants and that she's also like very involved in our tongan culture mm-hmm. with her Taulunga group you know we were we were talking to her in the framework of what we've been talking about on our podcast so it was just like a it was also really cool to see a lot of things that had like connected um with with from Eva's perspective as well when it came to like her um her story of what she remembers in Hawaii and her moving to Antelope and like her experiences with with the kids that she was going to school with and what she's learning in school and how involved she is with learning more about our Tongan culture so i thought it was really yeah it was really cool that she um like when we talked about the language and i asked her how much she understands it sounds like she's pretty much the same as us (laughs) like she understands as much as we do which is not saying much but um like she understands enough to like um like she knows what they're saying to her but she doesn't really know enough to like communicate back which is what we spent a lot of time talking about in our second episode the third episode about language barriers
1: so i just want to say that again this is our first segment featuring our family member. Um, And we've come out with a lot of reflections and goals that we want to take moving forward that hopefully come the next segment, we uh, do not shy away from hard topics. I feel like we're taking this as a learning opportunity to move forward and having these hard conversations with our family. Um, So again, just thanks to eva for letting us have her as our first you know tester
0: yeah i also feel like this kind of prepares us too for the other siblings if they decide to join our podcast because of all of all of our siblings you know eva's the baby so she's the sweetest she's also the most sensitive so she's very like very just so soft-hearted and like um I feel like when other personalities start, you know, of our siblings start coming, if if they ever decide to come onto the podcast... Um, we also have to be mindful of how, you know, that is going to play out, too, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. we all have sus- we Very all have different, strong. <laughs> different, strong personalities. Yes. Um. So, yeah, like that. I feel like like just having Eva who is like it's she's like um, she's probably like the easiest of all of us siblings to like, you know, have these conversations with because she's just so like. Mellow. Yeah, she's yeah. really mellow and she's so sweet, but um it also kind of like is a wake up call for us and like being prepared for the other personalities. <laughs> that that might... may not be so mellow,
1: it may not be so sweet. Yeah,
0: so <laughs> I feel like that also too helps us well at least Yeah, no, that's a good that's a good us reminder. Prepare us for that conversation. <laughs> those yeah.
1: conversations. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and that's our Dalanoa going of segment so stories by family okay so this
0: episode is entitled Aike pao in tongan this literally translates to make it for sure yeah we wanted to talk about you know why we chose this topic and the different nuances behind this meaning of ike pao um we had to text our mom and ask her, well, we, we were trying to think of like, uh, we were trying to think of a title for this last and final episode of the We Are the Ocean series. And throughout this series, we kind of started off with, you know, Gohai what's your name? Okuke where do you come from? Goeha Ho Uhinga, what do you mean? Episode four was which was Do You Remember? And then this episode is I Kepao, which is Make It For Sure. Um,
1: and this is, I guess, the, this this phrase came to mind because um, we wanted this final episode to sort of be uh, about reclaiming our culture and, like, taking action to do that. Because I think, like, throughout this series and throughout the book itself, um, Epeli kind of lays out, like, all the foundation of why why we're at the state that we are in terms of being Oceania, um, and then how to break away from that, how to reclaim our history. And then he sets out in examples of where do we move forward from here? So we wanted to think of a title that kind of like captured all of that. Um, and Aikipao came to mind just because I've heard this phrase so much uh, around Tongan women, especially Tongan women, um, when it comes to organizing anything. Because when you know when you call like an event or when you say that someone's taipao you you're pretty much saying like they're flaky, they don't follow through, they're not like well organized, they're not for sure, they're very you know wishy washy kind of kind of person when it comes to planning or doing something. Um, And so bow is kind of what you say when you want people to follow through. You want them to make it for sure, to make it happen. I feel like this discussion that we're going to get into
0: today are ways in which we can make it for sure. Like what we've been talking about in um, Echoing Epele Ha'ofa's work in um i guess also like holding each other accountable
1: and being consistent um like how to not just talk about all the things that we are talking about but how to do that and take action
0: yeah the funny thing is that like I, i also wanted to say that um like in making this podcast in general like getting to this point I feel like has been such, uh, like, uh, has helped me to see Ike Bao in such a different light because um, I feel like it's taken so much of our, like, so much from us, like, um emotionally and um like our energy like there's just a lot that you, we come across when we like learn these lear, like learn fr- from Belly's book when we like come across like um information from different events that are happening and just like applying all these concepts into like real life like at least for me like personal real life um situations And it's just like, there's just a lot of times where I feel like, you know, I'll call mock-up and we'll talk. And some of us, like, sometimes we'll say something that, and we're just like, how could you say that? Like, we've been saying, we've been talking about this on the podcast. How can you say that? And it's like, then we get all, like, emotional, then we start, like, arguing, then... I kid you not. Like up to this point, there's been so many times where we're like, you know what? Let's just stop this podcast then.
1: <laughs> but <laughs> <Where> we're like <laughs> the, mid-recording, and then we're like, wait, what? That's how you see this? No, this we can't. We can't do this. We're not on the same page. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's yeah. just so, like so really many bad. moments
0: where we're just like, okay, you know what? Why are we even doing this podcast then? Like, like we'll we'll get to that point. But um, and I feel like that also contributes to us, like you know putting out these episodes very late and not like a timely manner. But um, Maka had mentioned before that like when it comes to consistency, it doesn't have to be tied to time. It doesn't have to be like, you know what I mean? Like we talked about how like I talked about how I wanted to get a podcast episode out every week, but because of, you know, the things that we were learning and talking about and discussing, like I said earlier, it's kind of like held back because of all this like labor that, it takes for me, at least emotionally and like energy wise, it's like, there's just so many things where you're just like, okay, let's just pause. I, w- I just want to take a break. But um, in staying consistent for me is not a matter of like being like a certain time, but just the just fact that, that it's it just, done. yeah, it's just a matter that it's, it's getting done. Like, it, even yes. if it takes us like a whole month to get this episode out, it's like, to me, what matters is that we, we have these conversations like we'll talk on the phone and we'll like argue and then we'll come to a point where we're just quiet but for me it's like i want to i'm gonna stay here like sit in these feelings until we're both calmed down and we both like are like okay let's get back to you know like let's get back to it like we kind of like come back to what's more important here like you that you're right or that you're wrong or is it more important that we're like helping each other get on the same page
1: yeah something that um i've heard also a lot when it comes to you know any type of um movements about like you know changing perspectives and growing it it's what matters more is the transformation like you can do all the steps but if that if doing the steps doesn't make you like doesn't change you as a person doesn't force you to like rethink the way that you see the world and the way that you react and relate to other people then then they're just steps then they're you're just doing a routine like what we want to when we say like we should we want to be more consistent is we want to be more consistent in that transformation part in the growth um and yeah again uh that necessarily like people are always like everyone is at their own pace because everyone has different things that they worry about and different things that they value. So um we wanna stress that like consistency does not have to be tied to this like linear time. Which is a good, you know, transition into the final essay that we want to talk about from We Are the Ocean. Um that's uh past past to remember. I actually probably of the essays in this book,
0: this is probably one of my favorites, just because there's so many good things that I like so many um great concepts in in what I'm learning and what um he's sharing on how we can you know go back to remembering and reclaiming our culture.
1: yeah, we're just gonna read some quotes and then kind of reflect one by one um just to keep us more together in our thoughts <laughs> um but yeah, we prepared and selected some like excerpts. Well, I think we wanted to say, like,
0: this essay passed to remember, there are a lot of things that he said in this essay that resonated with me because of the fact that I grew up, like, learning, like, we've talked about how we learned Pacific Island history growing up, and how it always felt like it was coming from the point of view of that we were very, just small, that we were just these small islands in this big Pacific Ocean, but and that I, I mentioned too, like in episodes before, how when people would ask, Oh, where are your parents from? And I'd say Tonga. And when they didn't know where Tonga was, then I'd be like, Oh, well, yeah, that's because it's just this very small island in, in the Pacific that probably nobody knows about. And I just kind of belittled. I talked about how I felt like I've always belittled ourselves as Pacific Islanders because of the way I felt people were talking or how I was taught to look at ourselves and so this was the essay that helped me to see us in a better light and see myself as a pacific islander at belly alpha talks a lot about how we can reconstruct that narrative of how people talk about us and how we as pacific islanders like ourselves perceive
1: ourselves and perceive our past right yeah yeah so so in the very like first few lines of this essay he talks about how he has this very firm belief that all social realities are human creations, meaning like anything that you believe in how society works was because someone you know a human made that that's not like by you know you know just born and like everything exists the way it is like it's it exists because humans believe it um and so it, it, that leads to a quote that he says that if we fail to create if we fail to construct our own realities other people will do it for us and i guess what i've taken that into my life to mean is that if i don't take you know if i don't take action when it comes to what i care about and when it comes to like the relationships that i want to build then they'll never they'll never happen or they'll only happen because other people you know it'll it'll only happen to benefit other people, like other people will take whatever they can to benefit themselves um rather than you know thinking about you know the, the input that I have just kept to myself,
0: yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, and um, I feel like that also goes back to also like what I was just saying about how I perceived myself and us as Pacific island people, like if I don't take the the effort to. Um, learn about us from us then other people are going to talk about us and teach about us about us you know like we're just going to learn about ourselves from the outside perspective from the outside world when we should be you know making the effort to do this family work to like learn and like learn from our own scholars like pacific island scholars like ebeli haufa like there's so many um, books that are written about us by us that i personally want to make a goal to like get more into as well
1: so then he starts like naming some examples of how to do this and the first one he talks about is if we're going to like reconstruct how we view our past as oceania he says that the first thing we do is we look at people um so this is an excerpt from the bottom of page 64 we must clear the stage and bring in new characters we bring to the center stage as main players our own peoples and institutions so i think you know just going back to how i feel we've we've played this or we've applied this to this podcast and what we're doing is that you know we we've gone into our family history and we've you know found out stories of um, who were named after, uh I feel like you did yours work, but I didn't do mine for Mocchusini. Well, now you can do See, it. Yeah, no, this is example, example. See, I'm not, I'm like, this is how I can be, you know, this is Consistent. how I can, this is how you can, I can, bow. I can, this is how I, you, I can, bow. yeah, is that we have to center our histories on people that are us. So like ordinary, um ancestors or people that you know we still have living memories of so yeah i think um also like
0: when epele haofa goes into this like when he's saying this part about bring we must clear the stage and bring like our main the main players are our own people he also like mentions how we need to like get rid of you know captain cook we need to get rid of like Like the, the
1: idea that that the pacific's like the story of polynesians and the pacific doesn't start until captain cook arrives right right because that's what they've done with natives as well like the story of The natives in America don't start until, you know, Columbus arrives, which is... Not true. Not true at all, because they were thriving civilizations long before. Right.
0: So these are the stories that's been taught to us that have made these, you know, Americans and Europeans the center, you know, the main star of the story. But what Belly Hawaf is suggesting, I like that he's suggesting that we need to bring to center stage our own people. Like they are the stars of these stories and make them a part of our history that we can remember them as.
1: Well, we were just talking about how we don't really necessarily know stories of our own ancestors because it often starts you know our when, our histories. when the came. missionaries came that's often when the the stories they get told to us start from and then they were converted <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah like and like
0: i was telling maka that like the ancestor that is like the the at least the star in our history yeah, in lady. our family history is like is is Militoni yes. F- Fonua who was uh, the first you know baptized and convert converted into the church from Homa. But I was telling Maka like why aren't we like also looking into the his Where parents he came from yes. and his parents parents like why does it only start with him? But it starts with him because he was baptized and he was converted into the church. He was the first, and he also like started in Homa. Uh, they they started the the first church in homa the first chapel in homa so it was funny because we were like looking back, and, like, and Marcus was like, "No, wait!" But we also like learned about Giles, you know, because we talked about him a few episodes back. She's Like, remember we learned about Giles, and I'm like, "Yeah, but it's because he's white." <laughs> like, otherwise, if he was talking, I don't, I don't think we anybody... <laughs> would never have heard of him. I don't think anybody cares.
1: <laughs> no one would know. But you know,
0: but yeah, what Billy Halfo was saying in this um, paragraph was that like it's it's the ordinary people, like it's the it's the ordinary like regular people who are like living their lives those are the people that need to be brought to center stage and me and Marco cracking up because we're like hey that's that's like us <laughs> <laughs> that's us yeah
1: that's like us living our ordinary lives <laughs> yeah so the second is the second quote is still from the same paragraph as long as we rely mainly on written documents and as long as the Europeans Americans and similar others are seen to dominate our past as main actors or manipulators of local people to carry out their designs. Our histories will remain imperial histories and narratives of passive submissions to transformation, victimization, and fatal impact. All in all, that was just to say, you know, that we can't rely on written histories because oftentimes they are often written by, you know, European spectators, by outsiders. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the only way that we are going to get like a true history of our of where we how we came to today is by you know talking to the surviving family members um to looking and centering the people in our
0: lives that you know i like that because each generation has a different person i feel you know like i feel like like growing up like if i were to center stage someone in my life it would be like grandma lilika grandpa lakalahi grandpa tevita and grandma um, lote like those those are my they're my grandparents both from our maternal and paternal sides but then i know for lupa's generation she'll have different people that she would highlight in her life so and that might be baba and gigi you know and they're not yeah. even Tongan at all but they've played like these different yeah, yeah they play different roles in our, in our lives like they might be just regular ordinary people but they're also just the people that are important to us and then, you know, in the future, they make us. they make us who we are now.
1: Yeah. yeah. What
0: I'm trying to say is that it's it's important to do that because every generation will be different.
1: Yeah. Um. And just like, you know, going off of another quote, he says, what is of more importance is how people, ordinary people, the forgotten people of history have coped and are coping with their harsh realities, their resistance and struggles to be themselves and hold together. I like um, that, dude. Which is like exactly what we just we're saying
0: yeah right yeah i feel like that's <clears throat> that's really important too because me and Maka talk a lot about you know family patterns and cycles that we hope to discontinue um at least for our future generations and one of those is like family secrets and how we want to be more open with you know our families about things that happen in our lives and um like those are some of the things that i wish that we could be more open and just our family in general is just these family secrets and not just like
1: brush them brushing under the things yeah, yeah. Or,
0: or sweeping things under the rug because i feel like that causes more harm in the future than it does um like
1: yeah
0: yeah so so the the this quote in like regular people coping with their struggles like I feel like that encourages us to talk about these struggles like these secrets are are really like people hiding their struggles you know like I feel like these secrets are really people that just want to like hide how they're coping with things but it would be so helpful if like we knew what they were struggling with you know like a lot of different things that I feel like our family you know we we struggle with that we d- we don't want to share with our kids because
1: we don't want them to worry. We don't want them to like, we want, we don't want them to see that struggle yeah, and have to. that affect their lives. And I think also like it's, it's not struggles that are unique to any, to just us, you know, yeah. I think, I think the reason why people tend to hide what they're struggling or going through with is that they think that no one else will understand them or no one else will you know, no one else is going through the similar thing. When really, if you just you know shared what it, what it is you're going through, you'll find out that a lot of people have been in the exact same situation. Yeah. Um. And a lot of people have found uh, their own ways of coping with it in a healthy way, in a way that like moves everyone forward. Yeah. So I feel like you know when people hide things, um, in fear that no one else is is gonna get what they're going through or no one else can help them i feel like that's that's something like really based off of this false belief that everyone is living like this perfect happy life and no one is struggling no
0: no yeah i feel like that's also a big um that can be applied to church culture as well when we have like these discussions at church and people just like yeah this is just this is a personal experience but i feel like like these conversations that we have in relief society can be so much more helpful if people weren't like making it as if their life was perfect
1: (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) um so then he ends this paragraph saying until recently pacific histories have generally been silent on resistance and the struggles to hear that went on mostly unnoticed through decades of domination and exploitation. So, yeah, I, I feel like, again, we were talking about this in a very, like, micro lens of things that went on with our own family. Um, but belly really brings to light, you know, as, as societies and as a people, we went through a struggle of domination and exploitation, you know? Um, I mean, just one of the examples that we had brought up in a previous exa- previous episode was our ancestor Giles, who did come to Tonga and tried to start a cotton plantation. So this is like a story of exploitation, but left us, you know, not talking about it and not learning about it as kids, because we never saw that as like something that was that was a learning opportunity. You know, that was always something that was like, we don't talk about that because, you know, people didn't connect the dots and didn't see that this is relevant to learning how how our families like has has been affected by this
0: i just wanted to say that it's just it's kind of scary to r- realize the how he's saying that resistance have been silenced um like it's scary to think of the the many things that have been silenced in the past and what the mm-hmm. things that we don't even know yeah. that that i feel like but it's always like coming to light somehow But, you know, like even today in this world, like there's so many things that I've discovered, like in the past. So the movement in Samoa that was happening, I guess, I guess they just had an anniversary this past week about it. And basically it's when the Samoans stood up against the government to get what you said, like get the land and their their land and chief chief status, chief rights back. And I had no idea that that ever happened in history. But that the fact that it's like you know, with social media and how vast information is now at like the tip of our fingers, like I learned, you learn so many things of, and I feel like these things are going to eventually come to light. But I think it's the, my thought is just that it's just so scary to know that there's so many things even today that are being silenced Mm -hmm. today. And that, but, but it is hopeful to see that it will eventually come to light, but it just sucks that it has to come to light way late you know yeah.
1: yeah you know similar to what what was happening with cuckoo and the turbines or what's still happening in cuckoo with the turbines is that you know none of the community's resistance would be reported or would have been documented if it weren't for our you know connections through social media if it wasn't for the lives that we're seeing on facebook because you know th- like the news reporters aren't reporting that they're not reporting like what community members actually think and so they're not they're they're not centering the local ordinary people. And so I think just like stressing that this this resistance again is often going on unnoticed. Um it's not it I think I think we're definitely yeah, like you said it's definitely changing today um because of social media and because of access to information. Um but I think also more importantly it's because of ties to the local community like if we weren't friends with people back home who were living it mm-hmm. um, we would never have seen what was going on and right
0: so- and that also goes back to what we said in a pre like our first episode about this network that we have all across the mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. as pacific islanders like there's such a we have such a strong network and connection in so many ways so that's also such a that's that's amazing to me to see how big we are in that sense like okay. how
1: yeah how we are an ocean
0: yeah how we are a network an ocean yeah. network or okay never how right.
1: far our network expands
0: yeah
1: I feel like I'm like ocean network what the heck <laughs> OC16 <laughs> <Ocean laughs> <Network>. okay anyways <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he says, after we look into people, we introduce into our historical reconstructions the notion of ecological time, which is perhaps both the egg and the chicken to a marked emphasis in our traditional notions of past, present, and future.
0: So after okay. after we look at the people, like we said, we look and we we, we, we center the ordinary lives. like lives of our people The next step he suggests is that we look into how we how we look at the past, present and future. And this gets kind of deep. Like, I feel like we have to like this was kind of also like took a a minute for me to like
1: marinate because it's like it gets really simple. And like kind of mind, mind breaking when you're like, what do you call it? Groundbreaking when you think of it in the way that he explains it.
0: Okay. So when we look at the past, the Western view of looking at the past, present and future is that it's linear. If you're facing forward, you're looking into the future. You're in the present. Now you're in the present. And then the past is behind you, Right when he explains how westerners view past present and future it's yeah. a linear perspective it's like
1: you're walking forward into the future with your with the past to your back and your future in front of you
0: right but um you're walking along a line you're walking in a line it's it's a linear perspective but what he's saying is that we should be looking at it as a cycle as a circle it's circular yeah that it's, but- it's a cycle that happens it's a pattern that keeps Going back and forth. I
1: mean, he says, like, this is something that we've always um, we've always done as Oceanian people. Like, when you look at our languages, the way that we think of the future is, you know, like, one of the examples that he says is, in the Tongan language... Um, yeah, okay, let me just read this part for here.
0: In the Fijian and Tongan languages, the terms of the past are ngauna iliu. That's That's Fijian. And in Tongan, it's guonga mua respectively ngauna and guonga meaning time or age or era and liu and mua meaning front or ahead when Fijian and Tongan preachers point their fingers to the past they never point to the back they say the appropriate term and point ahead so when they're talking about the past they're actually pointing ahead to the past. The conception of the past as ahead or in front of us is not a mere linguistic construction. It has an actual historical basis in the documentation of our oral narratives and our landscapes. The term liu and mua may be used as verbs, as in Sa liu and mu mua, meaning I'm going ahead of you. Or more gra- uh, graphically, in popular Fiji English, I'm taking the lead, which is the literal translation of ausa liu. The past, then, is going ahead of us, leading into the future, which is behind us. Is this, then, the case of the dog chasing its tail? I believe so. From this perspective, we can see the notion of time as being circular.
1: This is ecological time, an idea that we could use for the reconstruction of many of our histories. It sucks that this isn't in a video, but, like, or the best ways that I've seen this explained is that, you know, um... This was something that Jamaica did in one of the events that she was talking about, where she was telling like a story of Hi'iaka and Pele. And she was saying like, the way that, you know, Europeans tell, tell stories is like this. They tell it in a line. But the way that we as Islanders tell stories, we tell it like this. And she was like making circles with her hands. And I feel like everyone can relate to that when they hear, you know, any like older relatives speak they're always going in circles (laughs) like things don't we don't think of things that happen like in a linear progression like things are always affecting like we're always reminded of something else and we're like oh yeah and then that's why that happened and it's always going back in a circle and so when you think about it like naturally we actually do think in circles Mm -hmm. like that's the only way that we can remember things is if we're repetitive and being like an oral. Like tradition being an oral language based society, mm-hmm. like that's the only way that we could really remember where we came from was when our our past were right in front of us, and we were always reiterating that circle yeah, if there was a way that this
0: could be explained in English terms, Epele Haofa says the English language incorporates this notion of the past as ahead and future as behind as in when we say things like let us pay tribute to those who have gone before us and the generations that are coming behind us so the 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 quote that i wanted to share here from this this concept was that the past is ahead in front of us is a conception of time that helps us retain our memories and be aware of its presence. What is behind us cannot be seen and is liable to be forgotten readily. What is ahead of us cannot be forgotten so readily or ignored, for it is in front of our mind's eyes, always reminding us of its presence. Since the past is alive in us, the dead are alive. We are our history."
1: One one line that I really like from that is how he talks about, you know, when you think of things in a linear sense, like when you think of the past happening in this like linear fashion. What he says is that you can't be liable to something that's behind you and forgotten, you know, because if you're looking forward to the future, you're not looking at what what's behind you. You're not looking at your past. So if your past is behind you, you don't think about it. You're not, you know, you're not liable to what actions you've done in the past and i feel like that's very common in you know western society when especially when it comes to like this type of work of you know um reclaiming your past and learn relearning like anything that's happened before is a lot of people don't want to look back Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of people don't want to look back because they don't want to be liable to everything that they and their ancestors are responsible for Mm -hmm. when we as you know a lot of societies who've been um, oppressed, whose lands have been stolen, whose languages have been taken from us. We are always having our past in front of us because it still affects us to this day because we still see that. And so it's not something that we can just put behind us and forget. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's just like, Something that was really powerful that stood out to me is that the reason why people want to think linearly is because they don't want to be accountable for what's behind them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like that. I I also feel like, especially growing up in the
0: church, we've learned so much about forgiveness and how like we shouldn't let our past like affect us, like what we've done in the past affect us, and just like there's this idea of just like forgetting all the things that we've done, which to an extent I feel like. I feel like the doctrine is that we should um, like we shouldn't dwell in the past, but that we should be accountable. Like, I feel like that. Well, that's
1: part of the repentance process. Yeah. Restitution. That's the word that I was trying to think of. So when it comes to the steps of repentance, there's always the step of restitution, which means that if you wrong someone, you have to correct that wrong. You have to be accountable for what wrong action you did. And if that means like you stole something, you need to give it back. Yeah. If you, you know, you need to make amends for whatever consequences you were, you were responsible for.
0: Right, right. I feel like that's this idea of seeing the past, present and future in a linear uh, perspective doesn't allow or make room for people to like be accountable for yeah. what they've done in the past. Exactly. That's why it's so important for me to learn this, this concept of like seeing the past, present, future as a cycle, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's important also to, to teach like my children. Like, I feel like that's how I wish I knew this earlier. Like this is such a cool concept to know and yeah. to learn about, like just seeing um, how the, how things work in a cycle. and how your actions matter like your actions will affect
1: and it comes back it comes (laughs) it always comes back to you because it's a circle right exactly yeah Um, and uh, so like the next concept that he gets into is how um that this is even a natural pattern like the cycle of time in nature is also circular Mm -hmm. when it comes to seasons when it comes to you know um days like it's all happening in this like. Circle mm-hmm. and how he
0: says that you can see the leaves. You know, they first in the winter they die, but in the spring they start growing. In the summer they're in full bloom, and then fall they start dying again, and then winter they're gone. Like it, it keeps happening in a cycle. You know, so it's it's important for us to see that it's such a natural thing for things to happen in a cycle, and for us to think in in circular, like um, for us to think of the of how our world works and how our past and present and future is in circular time like that's such a natural thing
1: yeah and it's it's just interesting because it's like he talks about it and how like that's the reason why we as like we as oceania think in circular is because like all our rituals everything that we did was always based off of nature and nature goes in cycles and so thus we think in cycles because we always know what the next season is coming forward like we always know that like this is like we always know what to expect Mm -hmm. and so because we know that it's a circle that's how we like prepare everything
0: So Maka was just saying, like, well, I, it sounds like we're going back to, like, a lot of things that we've already said in previous episodes. Like, oh, yeah, like we said in this episode, what we said in that episode. But Maka was just saying how it's like, that's okay, though. It's everything circular. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because that's actually how things work, though. Remember yeah. what we were saying earlier? Like, right, right. the reason why we tell stories in circles is because we come up against something and it reminds us of what's what happened in the past because right. the past is always on our mind exactly so that's why it sounds like we're going in circles but we're just you know going naturally in the order of how we think it's natural
0: <laughs> It's natural, okay <clears throat> anyways um okay so the next step in um this essay of past to remember that abeliha alfa suggests we look in so after we look into how we look at the past present and future um he suggests we we must look into our natural landscapes.
1: He starts saying that in our oral stories, like we also mention landscapes. So this is something that, like you know, when we're talking about the talungas will always describe like if you're just talking about a Ta'olunga from a certain village, they'll always name like landmarks in that village. They'll talk about the harbor. They'll talk about specific birds. They're always talking about their surrounding um landscapes because those are those are you know markers of where you are one of like the lines that we really liked um from this paragraph was when you're looking at our landscapes our landscapes is our history of movements the thing that i'm thinking about because we talked about this earlier too uh we were talking about like you know development and like people um you know living in like modern houses and like modern like condominiums and like all these high rises and you're talking about like you look at it and you think like i feel like now like a young millennial like who's kind of clueless would think like wow that's so cool they look at this amazing thing but someone who's so tied to you know living off the land would see that and think like where does all their trash go like where does where does all the the cycles of um knowing that you know every action and everything that you use from the land is going to go somewhere too mm-hmm. like when you think of like how we take care of our trash in the modern society like that's it's just like ridiculous to think that that's modern that that's like modernization that that's better than what it was in like living in a sustainable lifestyle you know because all of all the trash is just piling up somewhere mm-hmm. and all the like sewage is just going to some place that we don't even think about because it's not we're not living as if, you know, we're not living in this cycle of knowing that like our resources are limited and knowing that like nature is here to provide for us. You know? Um and so that's just something that's when he was talking about like the part of um like if if we if we realize that our livelihood comes from the land, we would think very hard before messing with it and damaging the cycles that provide for us. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just something that I feel like is very, um, very, very eye opening. Yeah,
0: it's eye opening, and also takes like so much awareness. I feel yeah. like, especially for uh, millennials, <laughs> like I mean, people in this day and age who have grown up you know
1: never thinking about yeah, it. yeah yeah that's like yeah. hard
0: for people to like separate themselves from to like yeah. actually look and understand like that idea of like there actually is a better way to, to live live
1: off of the land than than this
0: because they yeah. they just don't know you know people are born into like just born. yeah
1: no i think i think that's why it goes back to like how there's that forgotten connection because we all came from some society right, right, right. that used to live off the land, and I think something that this is also reminding me of is like how our grandpa would always farm. I mean, we I think we mentioned this before, but I feel like we really didn't value how important that skill was until you know, like until now. Like, I'm just thinking about how you know if if the world comes to a time where like groceries are no like grocery stores are no longer a thing Mm -hmm. like i wouldn't be able to survive (laughs) like if there was this big disaster that happened in the bay area and then like there's no electricity and there's no you know no running water like i don't even know where i would get fresh fresh water from but the people that are gonna know are like people who have always been living off of that land Mm -hmm. and so it's just like sucks that who that like we had all this knowledge in our grandpa Like we had access to this you know we if we just we just never, we just like, never thought yeah. yeah we never asked we never thought it was valuable like to learn how to farm even though he was farming like right next to us um mm-hmm. so that's kind of you know it's sad but it's like a good reminder of- yeah to like take action now
0: and like because yeah. there are so many people that are still doing that like you know in smaller
1: communities yeah now but yeah that- people have like community gardens mm-hmm. people have community farms and
0: like that um, that um trust uh land trust that you yeah. mentioned in the first episode yeah. how they're living off of the land and using that like yeah. i feel like that is also a good connection too in learning how to like live sus- like a sustainable lifestyle
1: Okay, yeah, so that leads us to um, the next point uh, that Abeli brings up is that, you know, because of living off of the land, the land tells us our stories. You know, when we, he's, he talks about how um, a lot of our oral traditions, is re- in, in a lot of our oral narratives, it's really important to mark, like, landmarks, to tell the stories of where these great um, great battles happen stories of, you know, where, where our, our parents, like
0: our, our um, ancestors were born,
1: um, yeah. roots that were taken to show people's movements, where people used to live, like burials, burial grounds, shrines, temples. Um, yeah. So he, he just talks about how like important it is that we, that in the oral narratives, we are also like marking where we are, mm-hmm. um, and how, because of that, like the he says that what is this he says like all of this movement and all of this like everything that's happening is recorded is recorded in narratives inscribed in the landscape
2: mm-hmm.
1: so he says that our lands our natural landscapes then are maps of movement oh wait our natural landscapes then are maps of movements, pauses and more movements. I like that.
0: Yeah. I like that because every time we go visit, like here in Japan, when we go visit a castle or like a shrine, it's always so cool. Like for me, I always like try to picture how it was back then, mm-hmm. and I always try to like imagine what it would have been like, like for me to be standing in that landmark mm-hmm. at that time. Like I always try to I, like it's always something that I I think about when I visit these like historical um landmarks. And I was like, "This is so cool!" Like so many years ago, on on this very spot, like this probably happened, or this battle was happening. You know, like they always have the information too that you read, that's that um, like that what that temple was known for, or what that landmark was known for. So, um, I like that he's saying that it's it maps out the movements, the pauses, and the more movements because it's like, it's like such a it's like such a way of like capturing.
1: Yeah, that's really cool because in the next paragraph, he also goes into um, this chant that's a ton- like one of Tonga's most ancient chants, um, and it's called the Me'etu It's a chant that reveals a voyage from Kiribati to Tonga. And he says that he believes that this chant was used as a sea route, as a map to chart how to, to travel from Kiribati to Tonga distances were measured in how long it generally took to traverse them it's really cool to see how functional the chants were like they weren't just you know they weren't just performative and decorative for like occasions to perform them you know they were used as something that was functional in helping people travel um and i feel like again that goes down to basically like if people were to burn all the maps (laughs) And like no maps were to exist anymore. If you knew these chants, you could still travel and you could still find your way along the ocean. Right. And I feel like that's such a cool power that, you know, oral based societies had. Um, yeah, because that's just
0: something you can't take away. Yeah, you like can. you can't burn it, you can't tear exactly. it apart. Like you, it's like in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so that's, that's just something that's really cool. That i never really thought about but then in, in off of reading that he goes into the very next paragraph about how our landscapes our landscapes and seascapes are thus cultural as well as physical we cannot read our histories without knowing how to read our landscapes when we realize this we should be able to understand why our languages locate the past as ahead or in front of us it is right there on our landscapes in front of our very eyes This part is kind of cool when he says, like, how often while traveling through unfamiliar surroundings have we had the experience of someone in the company telling us of the the associations of particular spots or other features of the landscape traversed with past events? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's something that, you know, that, like, even just being here in Japan that Lulika does with me and Eva like, whenever we go somewhere, she'll be like, this is where we go to eat all the time. Mm-hmm. Or, like, this is where this happened, this spot right here, this is, like, where me and Maka used to run, you know? So, it's it's just so interesting to see that, like, this is such a natural thing that comes to people when they show, like, guests around like places that they live now is they show like they always mark it as like this is where this happened yeah and you know? i feel like
0: that also happens when i go back to Laie. yeah and like when i see like our old street lanihuli street yeah. like i can still picture because we have so many pictures of it too but just memories of us on the driveway like riding our bikes or yeah. on our bikes going to sand store or going or riding to school like like it's really um it's really cool that that can happen, like how a landmark can bring back all those memories, mm-hmm. but also like mapping things out. Cause you're like, Oh, I remember this. Like when I go back to La yeah, like if I, were, if I were ever to forget where Samstar was, like you can just like stand, I can just go stand back on that street and be like, okay, you go straight and turn right. Like that's, that's right.
1: true. Dang. That's like real. Like people don't really know how to explain like how to get like people don't like know streets you know like i yeah, feel like that's, yeah. that's how people don't know streets or they don't know like exact directions but if you put them there they can go there just because of memory yeah. just because they remember how to like see certain landmarks and they're like okay this is where i turn right right you know and that's i guess that's the exact same thing as like
0: as um seascapes because i mean the last time i was <laughs> but- Last time I sailed the whole Kulea, but (laughs) no, but like, I feel like I've heard stories of people who have sailed the, like sailed canoes. It it really is, um, your history right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But, um, this also goes into why it is essential not to destroy our landmarks. Like these are reasons why it is essential not to destroy our landmarks for with their removal, very important parts of our memories, our histories will be erased i feel like this is kind of you know why there's so much resistance to people redeveloping any type of land you know a lot of people will always make it seem like oh you're against modernization you're against technology when really it's like no people don't want to lose their memories and you bring in like this giant new fancy thing is not like you know is is more harmful to them remembering their past um, than it is to benefiting, you know, whatever may come in the future. Something that I also think was really cool, like that comes from this, the tongue, the Tongan words for uh, traditions and culture is funua and Ulunganga You Want me to say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: it or you could just keep practicing to like i tell you it's perfect no you, you <laughs> say it, you say it. Mm. Just like
1: i need to practice. hear it more and then i'll i can repeat it i'm good at repeating I feel things like you're, you're, say it you're and talking... then i'll try and say it back watch
0: Tala efonua.
1: Tala efonua.
0: i feel like you slur a lot
1: Tala efonua.
0: yeah it's, it's it's okay to like pause in between okay
1: Tala... Tala efonua. Tala efonua. Ulunganga Ulunganga I feel like I'm in primary and our mom would our mom would like make us repeat the, the words back to her. Or if you're like But I was really good at listening and repeating. I'm really good at that. I don't know how to say it, but if you say it, I can repeat you. You can just like mimic it. You're like good at parody. I'm really, I have a really good ear, so that's that's all I'm saying. Um, (laughs) I just wanted to make the point of how, like, even in the term for tradition and culture in Tongan, it literally translates to stories of the land and the ways of the land. Like, it's not disassociated from the land as the words tradition and culture could be in English. Like you can't disconnect it because it's always focused on the land. Mm-hmm. Like you, that's literally in the term. Yeah. So that's just like the point that I wanted to make is that it's always like the the center is the ways of the land and the stories of the land versus okay. like the ways of the people. You know. Hmm. So that's that's really cool. It
0: like Mako was sharing how the Tongan terms for traditions and culture. Have the words Fonua in it, Tala e Fonua, and Ulunga ngafaka Fonua, which literally translates to Stories of the Land and the Way of the Land. It shows like how connected, like Tongan people are to the land, and not in the sense, like in the sense that it's just so it's so, yeah, that it's sacred to them, and it's like it's so important to them. Um, And going back to that video that we were watching, how those two examples of what Shamway shared in those two stories of how people share how they want to be so connected to the land and they want it to be so close to them in everything that they do, which is also like a symbol of what the Ta'awala is, is like having that around them. They want to be so connected. No,
1: yeah, I think that's that's really cool because I've never... And I, I didn't know that about the Talbalah um I feel like we've always like been taught how like there is this like aspect of respect when wearing it, and it's like a it's like a, a form of like being humble when you put it on you, and I feel like that's always been communicated, and that's like the meaning that I get when I have it on, but I've just never like known that that was that how tied to the land um Atao is and how like In the Tongan culture like you're literally Bounding the land around you um, So what one of the Things that he gets into also Is how like you know He's like throughout this he's talking about Like how we are so connected to our land And then he brings up how So many people throughout the Pacific Were relocated um, In for the Purpose of you know military developments For you know Um nuclear detonations for so many things that like just completely removed people off their ancestral lands and he talks about how like that is comparable that is the same order of enormity this is another quote This says that that's like comparable to the destruction of a nation's libraries their archives their museums everything that they have that's a record of their existence Mm -hmm. is gone when you remove them from their lands Mm -hmm. and this just like brings to mind like now not only of like the actual removal of people but you know like when we're facing like this climate crisis where the sea levels are rising and our islands are disappearing like that's Mm -hmm. something that's that's so um like that's that's on the same magnitude of you know if you, if our lands disappear like hopefully by then we will have like reclaimed all our stories and like remembered everything but we're never going to remember everything because you know that's that's i i just want to say that like this is a very real threat that we see today across the pacific is like the loss of our islands going underwater.
0: People just don't make this connection when they see land desecration. They probably think of like like you were mentioning some examples like military um, bombings and like um, like Mauna Kea or like bringing up um, the turbines. Like those those are examples, but they don't see like Kiribati is drowning as
1: yeah. as a way of like our land is. Is being, is being desecrated. desecrated, yeah, and it's it's this is like often very common. I mean, we're we're just sharing like things that we've recently learned, but has always been, you know, yes. taught amongst people who are facing like relocation due to rising sea levels, like right now and like within the past decade. But something that they've like a, a very valid point that they continue to bring up is like why is it that the Pacific, and you know people of oceania are paying the price of of rising sea levels when we are definitely not the ones causing it you know like if you were to take all the pollution that and and trash that's like being generated and created and everything that's being created within the pacific that's like nowhere near the amount of Of the the, like burning of fossil fuels that's being done by like the very dominant powers of the world, namely the US, China, like all these powerful nations that are causing the sea levels to rise. And yet we are the ones who are losing our homes for it. Yeah,
0: I think it's important for me to bring that point up and making that connection because a lot of people do see, even though we do see, you know, things of like like post people are saying like oh well, we're not like there's the movement going around that like we're not drowning we're fighting yeah but like the the awareness of like bringing up the awareness of helping um like people like people from the outside are probably thinking like well what can i do it's that's just nature you know like that's just how ha- it's happening no. because the sea levels are right like what, what do you want me to do but it's like you can start by you know living a sustainable life like you can start like, by yeah.
1: that you're creating yeah in like that and it, and even when like people think that like they can't like they feel like that's not going to do much like if you could organize if you could support local farmers you know like it's it's a lifestyle change that has to happen it's not just well i mean it's just not it's not just a lifestyle change like it's also like um something that uh kaniela ing was talking about in one of the lives from koku uh from the kukiai koku page who was talking about how like it has to be a change within the economy the american economy has to shift and we have to be off fossil fuels we have to get off you know we have to get off oil mm-hmm. um and that's going to be a huge shift for um us as you know us as people who are for, who live in the states who rely on cars that run on oil right. and so like this is this is like not just the lifestyle change but like this is going to affect the entire economy mm-hmm. so like yeah. that's that's like the reason's why you know people like AOC is bringing in the green new deal and how it's like supposed to get people to change their mindsets to shift and think like it's bigger than you know it's it's much bigger than recycling you know but but like again like you don't have to get caught up in like the how overwhelming you know changing the world could be um but like just doing simple things like buying from local farmers you know supporting um people who are trying to live by that lifestyle is is a really big one yeah I think that's important, at
0: least for us. Like what we hope in sharing this, and like our goals in like going back to aikibao. Like these are just small, simple things that we hope to, that we can do in our own like daily lives, as far as like slowly getting to like that shift of what we were taught, and like just unlearning a lot of ways and like relearning. You know, what what works best for everyone?
1: Yeah. So, again, um, like we were saying, like there's so many things that um, could be done. But here are just like examples of what's already been doing. We do want to uplift existing work. So one thing that people can do, like we've always been saying, is to tell our own stories. Um, This goes this like falls in line with what Belly was saying about we need to. Um, pass as many memories down to the future and do more of that work to make sure that they are taught the stories that we weren't taught and one like really good example that we we appreciated was we had made a post previously about um, the difference of perspectives when it came to Queen Leo Kalani um, and how we were taught of the overthrow. Uh, When we were growing up in Hawaii Um, But someone had reached out to us Joni Kiamawai Reached out to us um, Over in our Instagram page And she shared with us Something that she had done This was back in 2015 and she had worked on the on a liliu o Kalani theatrical production which starred keiki from the community and was presented by the queen liliu o Kalani children's center in waimea Kauai. so joni was raised on Kauai, but her parents are her parents and hana are from niihau and she currently teaches at kekula niihau o Kekaha. uh one of the things that I really enjoyed about the play, again, this was like Keiki and the community that had put this on together. So they had the Keiki dress up as, um, you know, as both uh, the Ali'i and both as, as Queen Liliokalani and her childhood growing up and going to an English speaking school for the chiefs or kids, children of the chiefs. And um i thought it was one like one of the points that i really liked was how like this is keiki that put on this production Mm -hmm. and you'd think that like at such a young age like going back to our hesitation with eva of of you know calling out um something that was really uh like terrible that happened in the past or like calling out things that need to be addressed you'd think that like some people might say, like, kids are too young to understand this. But these were kids of all ages that were talking about the overthrow and talking about, you know, the the uh, Committee of Public Safety who had overthrown, like, who had overthrown um, the queen. And it's just it's just wild to think that, like, if Keiki can get it at that age, if kids can get it at that age, like, why are we so hesitant to to teach that yeah
0: i don't i don't think i've ever seen like growing up i don't think i've ever watched a play um based on the overthrow or written um on lili Uokalani. like i i don't think i've ever watched a play on that like i remember watching plays like about Christmas. abraham lincoln like yeah like, yeah, like well all like, like you went to
1: town like a yeah full trip. like a field trip
0: play yeah. like i've never really watched a play that would that was talked that talked about Liliuokalani or the overthrow like in hawaii like growing up in hawaii and learning about it in hawaii mm-hmm. um but um i really like that it was by children i really loved the music because i feel like mm-hmm. there were so many um highlights to Queen Lili Uokalani's music. I've never really um, been able to appreciate her music or just like listen to um, her music or even know that a lot of her music was written by her. Um, like I didn't even know Aloha Oi was, was written by her until
1: like a few years back. Uh, like And we sing that at every, every Missionary day, like, Farewell. Yeah. Like, we're up. always
0: singing it. Like, even in church. So um, like I don't know if that's like a bad thing. Like I felt like I should know. I should know that this is written by Lili Okulani, like
1: and the reasons
0: and the why reasons it why written, it was written. Yeah. Like the story behind Aloha Oe was that, you know, she was locked in her room um because she was imprisoned in her own room um during the time of the overthrow and she had written that.
1: Um But also not actually a goodbye, you know, like it was it was a song to calm them down and to, oh, right. like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, like, um, <coughs> it was, was it, like, it was talked of, like, the reason why it was hymns was to like, make it seem as if like, you know, like that that they were, like, submitting, but not
0: not, <coughs> not in, a, that, not in not a violent way. Yes, yes. And I felt like there was just, I felt an appreciation for Joni for putting on that time and effort for conveying that, um, you know time in history to educate you know others on from that perspective and the perspective of the hawaiian people
1: yeah one one other really quick point that i really liked also was to see how the keiki were playing the roles of the monarchs and the ali'i and how they um depicted like when she was invited to like the the ball of monarchs in england and i feel like that's That's something that, like, Kiki should always be reminded of because I feel like we get this idea of, like, it's like, oh, the the kingdom was so outdated. And, like, if it wasn't for, you know, if it wasn't for the United States, we wouldn't have electricity and all that. When it's like, dude, like, it's really great that the kids could see that, you know, they were living, you know, as a fully advanced modern society that's like completely contrary to the belittling views of how Americans and recent migrants to Hawaii like to believe Mm -hmm. of, of Hawaiian society. Shout out again to Joni for her work in continuing to inspire communities to remember our indigenous struggles and histories of resistance in the Pacific. And, you know, we do want to continue and encourage others to tell tell their own stories and it, can, like, it doesn't have to be as big as putting on a play um because like look at us now here we are like just recording our stories in this podcast so it could be anything from telling your own stories whether it be in a play in a podcast in your journal right. anything that continues to on social
0: media stories. yes <laughs>
1: anything that continues to share share and document your
0: story so along with, you know, telling our own stories, we
1: also want to encourage to hold ourselves accountable. Hold ourselves accountable to the stories. To these stories.
0: To because, our own stories. Because
1: our stories won't always be, you know, rainbows and yeah. sunshine. Like, there are paths that we have to address yeah. and recognize.
0: Yeah, I feel like this is an important step in, as far as, like, holding ourselves accountable. Because, like, going back, that also takes a lot of, like, awareness to be like, wait, actually... Am I really honoring Native and Indigenous, you know, cultures?
1: Yeah. So one of one of the examples that we just wanted to highlight of an uh, example of someone who held themselves accountable to actions that had, you know, that needed to be addressed um, is the or the story of the change to the recent cuckoo mascot um, told by Seamus Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We didn't know who he was um, until recently. Um, I had a friend who had been uh, a player of his when he coached the Tamalaye rugby team. Um, and he coached the Tamalaye rugby team for a while before being asked to coach the Koku High School Rugby Club. Um, oh, the Kuku Rugby Club uh, for high school boys. And again, this is like a rugby club, so it's not associated with the school. It's just the cuckoo high school aged um boys and so they were coached by seamus and he had shared with uh my friend who you know we, we he gave us permission to share the story okay so seamus
0: fitzgerald says so 2014 rugby team we're in portland for all-star tournament and a native american asked my wife what tribe we're from because of our mascot i was shame because we of all people should be culturally sensitive. So I asked my brother-in-law, DJ Kekua Okalani, to design us a Hawaiian. The 2014 school logo or mascot was the one that Coach Lee Leslie introduced. DJ took that one and changed the feather to now be red tea leaves only worn by Hawaiian hierarchy. Side note, I was told that kahuku means kahu, short for kahuna, which is a specialist, priest, or wise elder. Ku means god of man and war. The Hawaiian, mano, the Hawaiian mano tattoo design shows he is a Hawaiian warrior and the red tea leaves is because he has rank, a kahuna of ku, in parentheses kahuku. Other side of the story is 2016, Principal Masaniye calls me into a meeting and asks about the rugby team logo and informs me that she wants to put in forward to the board as the school logo. I tell her that DJ would appreciate that, but one, ask him first, and two, remember that it belongs to the Kahuku Rugby Club first and always. She never asked him to this day, they have never acknowledged him. That's how it got into the school and what it means. I asked my brother-in-law because I was ashamed when we toured the mainland to have an Indian logo when it's totally culturally inappropriate and disrespectful to the indigenous people of this country.
1: There's a lot of cool things that I feel like oh I learned from this. Um, I didn't know about the meaning of cuckoo. Um, yeah actually me neither
0: yeah (laughs) growing up in in the the north shore community i'm i mean i'm sure there's a meaning to laia i'm sure there's a meaning to haula like
1: yeah so it's just kind of cool thinking about it how like laia has always been that space since before Mm. um but also acknowledging that there's like histories before yeah settling and settlements Yeah, yeah 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 So that's a really cool meaning of cuckoo that I never knew. I
0: guess Um, so one of the things we wanted to say was that um, we know that there are different versions of this story. Um, This is Seamus Fitzgerald's story that he shared that we wanted to um, highlight because it's his experience straight from the source. DJ Kikul Kalani Um, is the designer and i guess we wanted to also highlight the fact that he
1: you know give him the credit for Um, for doing that because we wanted to highlight that this is like an example of someone being accountable to a wrong that he felt needed to be addressed for sure because i like i was sharing with Maka earlier
0: as an alumni you know growing up um going to kahuku high school i've always you know, recognize that the the mascot was a Native American Indian. I just I wasn't ready to be accountable for that. You know, I wasn't ready to like be accountable that you know Kahuku was using it inappropriately. Um, and so even when like lawsuits came up, um, against like NFL teams that had Native American mascots, um, like I feel like that's when I first was like, oh wait, but Kahuku has it has a native american and i remember having a conversation with maka about it a lot like long time ago and she was just like she kind of like gave me this look like you know like well like just shrugging like well like what you gonna do about it and i'm just because she didn't graduate from there i graduated from there and so i felt like i just wasn't ready for that to like to face that and i feel like a lot of not just me like even Noke. like i i brought it up to Noke, too and he was just like yeah you know but there was no like yo this is wrong you know like there was so i actually admire um Seamus for you know taking action in in asking you know his brother-in-law to design something that was more relevant to um you know the Cougar rugby team but also just m- more also like being more respectful to native indigenous cultures in general.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean just to give like background of like um when I first came into Stanford, um they I was part of like this um like a group of like you could sign up to be part of like an immersion group where they take you on like a camp, like they take you on a like 10-day retreat and they teach you. So this was like for the native community at Stanford. The community has like this summer program where right before you enter as a freshman, you can go and you can learn about like the history of Stanford, the history of natives at Stanford, and then just learn about resources that exist at Stanford that can help you throughout your college journey. Um, This is something that like I did similarly at Punahou when I before I went to Punahou. So I was like, okay, I'll do that when I come to Stanford, too. Um, But this one was was put on by the Native community. And as part of that like retreat, they also taught us of how the Native community came to exist at Stanford and how it was organized at Stanford. And what happened was like, this was back in 1970, four, students at, four Native students at Stanford got together and formed a group, Stanford American Indian Organization, to take away the Stanford Indian mascot because Stanford Cardinal used to be the Stanford Indians. And when they had done that, it took like the school like a year and a half or a couple years to finally like okay you're right this is racist let's take it away we'll become Stanford Cardinal. But for like for like decades and still to this day they still receive backlash. The Native community still receives backlash from alumni who are so proud to be Stanford Indians. Like, people still wear headdresses to games. And it's, like, super weird because, like, when I was there learning it as a freshman, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what happens to Cuckoo. (laughs) And I'm, like, so proud to go to Cuckoo games. And, like, even though I didn't graduate from Cuckoo, like, I was so proud of the school because of the football team. And, like, it's and just being, like, from such a small community where, like, koku means everything to that community it's like um i felt so like cringy and hesitant to like to to keep yeah to bring it up and to like like i would see like videos go viral of cuckoo song song fest and cuckoo cheers and like how like people were going like wild at football games because i would see headdresses in the videos and i'm like i can't share this i was like this is so cool but i can't share this because you know like this is something that i'm not ready to address and Mm -hmm. I feel like I've never been, like, like Lelika said, I've never been willing to address it. And it took us, like, a lot to actually be willing to address it here. Um, But we just want to, like, applaud the fact that people are, like, people like Seamus are taking action and being, like, holding themselves accountable to a higher standard of, you know, being respectful of indigenous cultures and yeah yeah. i I also want to point out the fact
0: that like it's not a bad thing to um bring it up in the sense that you're trying to like especially if the intention is to um you know like to educate and bring awareness because i feel like especially from coming from a small town like like when people bring this stuff up like people are automatically kind of like turn their heads and they're just like it's the
1: same i think it's the same vibe of like people are like oh that's so like political yeah it's the right, same exact right. like i don't want to change yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's like that. There's such a a hesitancy of like, of like, I don't want to like address this right now because I've been so used to this for so long. But I just also want to point out that like it, all it takes is for us to like talk about these things because it's like goes back to like addressing like hard topics. Like it, it really, um like I just want to be more encouraging of like addressing hard topics and I want to be better at these kind of things like when it comes to this like I wish I could have said something earlier it's just that I wasn't ready at the time and I feel like a lot of like like a lot of the you know community is is not ready because it's been happening for so long it's been such a long time tradition Mm -hmm. like going back to what you're saying about you know alumni that are still like mad about the native those native American students about being Stanford Indians. It's the same thing with like old alumni in Cuckoo that have been like repping, you know, the Red Raider mascot for years. And they still have the flags
1: and they don't want to get rid of it. Yeah, like it's
0: all like, it's like old school. It's like sentimental, but it's like, it's racist. Yeah.
1: It's so it's
0: it goes back to like the feeling of being like political but the feeling of like but also like addressing hard topics and like holding ourselves accountable to like bring awareness like hey yeah. this is wrong like we shouldn't be um using this inappropri- inappropriately like we should be more sensitive to um especially as as a community like leie Kahuku yeah. and haula like we have so
1: many like when when this when this like Hawaiian a logo came out or this Hawaiian mascot like when he's like talking about how intentional it was for him to add the mono tattoo for him to add the tea leaves like there was so much more thought put into it than someone who slapped on a Native American head Exactly. like what what does that have anything to do with Google? right
0: like, I mean the pride can still be there it's just that we can address like why can't we just like address that this was wrong you like we can we move how forward do we learn, like from this? yeah how do yeah. we move forward from this yeah. in like holding ourselves accountable this is why i feel like this step is, is is important but also just very hard for a lot of people because a lot of people are not ready yeah we to, weren't ready yeah and i want to say that i, we I still are still, aren't ready? still aren't ready. we still aren't ready
1: because <laughs> we see like headdresses in some of like
0: yeah Yeah, we saw some some headdresses and some other protesting things that we didn't we
1: can't say it because it's like man like (laughs) i think it goes back to like if you're gonna hold someone accountable like what's your relationship to them and like how are you gonna maintain that relationship moving forward yeah i feel like that's like just what i how every time i approach like any kind of accountability conversation with someone got you So another step, like we mentioned earlier, is, you know, to live sustainably. And again, like there's like the concept where we have to shift like our entire economy to like being like off of uh, fossil fuels. But then there's like the other concept where like how can we live like sustainable lifestyles The people that we wanted to highlight or work that we wanted to highlight by someone that um, we came across through social media um, and through her work that she's done for Teresa Siangatonu, uh, who we highlighted earlier, is the founder of L Rally. L. So,
0: the, the thing what I love most about it is that um, the fact that she's upcycling all these old clothes. And she says that to produce one cotton t shirt in the fashion industry, it takes 700 gallons of water. That amount can feed one person water for 900 days.
1: The average person in the US throws out about 70 pounds of textile waste a year. So, I feel like this is something that, I mean, I don't think, this is something that I feel like would be mind-blowing to Kakaime to Tahi, because we don't ever throw out our clothes. We always, like, give them away, yeah. or we send them to Tonga. Like oh, yeah. That's... that's never a thing where you just, like, throw your clothes in the trash, unless, like, you know, you got, like, you got, like, really torn up and, like, nasty or something mm-hmm. like that. Like. But yeah i mean everything. at least
0: at least for us growing up i don't feel like we've ever thrown away clothes in a like in a trash can yeah. it's always been like well because there's eight of us i'm the oldest i've always like my clothes have always gone just like got passed just down. passed <laughs> down but also like i remember putting our clothes ba- in big bags and our mom like giving them away to other family members like or to people in the ward who needed it like she so so the idea of like throwing out clothes was just it's just kind of like
1: and 70 pounds Tons of clothes and this is in a year so yeah that that just like all these like facts that she dropped about um textile waste and how like it, what it takes to take mm-hmm. to create and produce clothes mm-hmm. so, yeah, um, you should, you, was pretty so... mind-blowing so just a
0: shout out to to l um her instagram page is at l raleigh um e-l-l-e r a l i and so so she'll share on her Instagram stories how she 's making like how she 's sewing these clothes, but she'll also share like a ton of like very um useful information about you know um, the, environmental the costs envir- yeah of clothing and yeah so it's really manufacturing I feel like it's very educational um like the fact that I, I like first I love the style, but i also second love that she's educating and sharing awareness at the same time. Um, she's also filipino so filipino.
1: shout out to shout out to kukai from filipino yeah and from so filipino from, the, Fili- from philippines, the philippines philippines shout out to L, creator and founder of L raleigh um and for continuing you know um changing like how we think of where clothes come from and changing how um, how our clothes can continue to be used after we've you know yeah going back going back to the
0: cycle of mm-hmm. thinking like where it's coming from where it's going like that all it all like applies to all this that we've been yeah. talking about so another way that we can be consistent ikebau um is learn uplift and acknowledge people's work and in this throughout this these series we have a malia highlight segment there've been you know people we've acknowledged that have done different different things in our kakaimitahi community
1: yeah i feel like um oftentimes when people are doing like any kind of community work any kind of community organizing or any kind of service um to their people they often go unrecognized cuz they're just so busy doing that that you know um it like you don't really get the time to understand like how meaningful of an impact your work is having on the people that it does affect.
0: Yeah, they're always like behind the scenes.
1: They're always behind the scenes. Yes. Um and so I think just like in sharing in 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 taking this action of learning of who's putting on this work, who's doing all this work and uplifting that work, acknowledging their work, uh I feel like that's like a huge Meaningful thing to do. Like, I think the reason why, um, I kept wanting people to, um, I kept asking people to make videos for Kogu when I would go to different events and um, different talks was because I feel like it's such a small community. And I mean, maybe I shouldn't say it's such a small community because it's actually a such huge a community. Type. It's such a tight knit community that I wanted them to know that they were being heard. I wanted them to know that people throughout the bay and people that I've come across were listening to, you know, what I was sharing and and I think this just kinda continues the at Belly's point of how a lot of times resistance goes unnoticed. But the more that we recognize it, the more that we highlight them and all the work that they do. I feel like is the more that we make those connections, make those connections and the more effort we put into remembering, mm-hmm. you know, into never forgetting that this took work to get to, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I guess I, like-
0: I I think that was like a, a big reason as to why we wanted to to make that Malia highlight here on the podcast was exactly you know, for those reasons of making sure that, you know, there's so many people that we hope to highlight and we just hope that highlighting them could like help to, um, let them know that their work is being acknowledged. They're being heard. Um, and that, uh, we appreciate that. Um, And I feel like um, making it into, like, Maga and I have also talked about Instagram, like our Instagram page has been, like, in still trying to, like, figure out the goals of our Instagram page. But um, I think a big a big goal for our page is to raise awareness on social media, too, because we don't really need an Instagram page. You know, the podcast itself is really the you know our focus here the instagram page is kind of just like an accessory
1: like a tool yeah, I, feel like it's I think really, it it's good for like, making like real time actual connections because when we highlight people like we'll tag them and people can go learn about more of like something that we're talking about yeah so like this like the podcast itself is kind of just like a version of of us making the connections through our conversations but if people wanted to like you know further those connections and and find out more through people's social media pages, that's kind of how we've been using our social media to to raise awareness of not just what we're talking about, but also the existing accounts that mm-hmm. are posting more right, right. that are posting about what events yeah yeah there's a lot of people out.
0: there's a lot of people out there on
1: on like social media who have pages you know around like the work they're doing and so i think what i i think the point that we're getting at with social media is that it really allows us like i think the thing that i um have a hesitancy towards uh, social media is that I feel like it's a really great platform for raising awareness. I think it's a really good platform for sharing information. Um, But in terms of, you know, going through the processes of, of learning and the process of accountability to pass actions and, you know, the transformation process, I feel like that's something that you know that happens offline offline yeah that happens offline and that's something that's happening real time throughout our conversations that's not always in the podcast Mm -hmm. like the the conversations that we have that are very transformative don't even make it to the podcast because it's like so organic and it happens like when we're not planning it and so i just want to say that like um that's like my appreciation for social media is that raising awareness but in terms of you know um in terms of like actionable transformation, mm-hmm. that's definitely something that should happen at the same time offline. Right, right. right. Um, sure. Yeah, and then I think finally, like we also wanted to bring it back, bring it all back to to us, um, uplifting, learning, and uplifting the work of Ebeli Ha'ofa and how you know these essays have existed since the '90s. And, and we're you know, only coming across this is, it now in 2019 about, it's about to be 2020 like we're on the eve of 2020 and we are like this this is so relevant to everything that's going on today yeah. yeah i
0: really i've like really enjoyed this series that we are doing on the podcast with we are the ocean i'm really i'm really glad that um Maka suggested we do this because i feel like a lot of his work helps me to know that the things that i've known weren't for nothing you know yeah like the things that i felt are are valid are valid Valid, like things like like wow that's why my parents are like that or that's why i I felt this way or that's why we
1: experienced that um it's a really good thing of like affirming our own um uh feelings and yeah
0: um experiences experiences in the past And that was the final episode of this We Are The Ocean series. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.